Hello and welcome to Radio HNPW, the podcast about this year's Humanitarian Networks and Partnerships Weeks. This is where the acronym comes from. My name is David Laud and I'm working for the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, organizing this event. The aim of this new podcast is to give you insights into this first virtual edition of the HNPW by bringing key actors behind its tenure to speak about what is so special about this event. This week for our third episode, I'm talking with Mr. Lars Peter Nissen. Lars Peter has been director of ACAP since 2009 and has been recently appointed director at interim of the H2H network. Experience in response to both sudden onset disasters and more protracted crises, Lars Peter has, for the past 20 years, worked in numerous crises across the world. Lars Peter is also one of the founder and initiator of the HNPW. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. So, hi, Lars Peter. Welcome to our program. It's wonderful to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to have you. And the reason why um, is that you, better than anyone, uh, know the HNPW and the leading edge program behind the event, uh, having been involved in its early development. So, in a nutshell, the uh, LEP, leading edge program, is a year-round collaborative platform for humanitarian networks and partnerships. Uh, with the aim of developing solutions to the various issues uh, in emergency response and, um, and preparedness. So um, let me ask you first, so I believe in, in 2015 uh, you were involved in the early stage of, of the uh, first consultative group and then leading edge program. What drove you and a few others uh, to come up with this uh, project and event and what was the need for it at, at the time? So I think to understand really the background for uh, HNPW and the Leading Edge program, you, ha you actually have to go back and look at the work which has been going on for since the mid-90s with UNDAC and with, uh, with INSERAC. Um, the whole group of first responders around the UNDAC system, the search and rescue people, the environmental experts group, all of us, uh, ACAPS, DHL, uh, the technical partners to UNDAC, I think that that for me forms the core of HNPW and um, and the leading edge. I think the essence of HNPW has to be understood in relation to the number of sort of civil prote protection and disaster management actors that are present there. Normally, when we go to conferences in this town as humanitarians, we end up with the, the usual suspects, the ISC agencies. Hello, UNICEF. Hello, OCHA. Hello, HCR. You know, oh, you're here, save the children. But when you come to HNPW, you have a far more technical crowd as well. You certainly find a Finnish search and rescue guy in uniform, and you can talk about how good his boots are. You don't really find that in other places. And I think it's the, 
the unique nature of HMPW comes from the combination of a bunch of really, really practical sort of civil protection uh, approaches combined with sort of more broad stream humanitarian approaches, I think. And I, I think that's fascinating because we need to learn from each other. Indeed, um, the many stakeholders participating in the HNPW is what makes um, this event very, very interesting. Um, you just spoke about the Leading Edge program. What is its role in the organization of the HNPW? Yeah, I mean, Jesper Lund, who, who, who used to really drive, uh, drive HNPW, always called it the humanitarian Woodstock. Right, so this would be the big music festival where we all got together and and had a big party. And and the leading edge program is then sort of all the work we do throughout the year preparing for Woodstock, if you want. It should ideally be a collaborative network that works on a daily basis engineering new solutions for the humanitarian sector. Now, I don't think that the leading edge program has fully reached its potential yet. I don't think we have fulfilled that. I think still HMPW takes a lot of the, the spotlight. It's very easy to focus on an event, but I think if we if we truly want to realize the potential of what we have here with, with the unique nature of HMPW and the leading edge, we need to get this rolling, not just when we are together in Geneva or on virtual conferences as we are this year, but really turn it into a, a year-round uh, collaboration, a year-round network, and then use HMPW as the accelerator as the place where we really kick things forward and take stock. I really like this idea of an accelerator. And uh, indeed, we still have progress to make um, around the topics being discussed at this year's HNPW. And listener would know those nine priority topics have precisely been identified by the Leading Edge Program Strategy Group as of core importance to the work um, being done on the ground. Would you like to speak on, on, on them and tell, tell us why they are so important? I think that the topics, if you look at them, are self-explanatory. Right? I, I think it's, it's obvious that we need to strengthen accountability to the populations we serve. I don't see anybody arguing against that, for example. I think the, the, the key to or the, the role that these themes play is that if you have a network, by nature, that is uh, a wild, growing, organic, uncontrollable thing. It, it's not something you, you tell how to walk. It, it moves without you, otherwise it's dead. But then for that not to be pure chaos, you need something to synchronize mindsets, to somehow align the different actors, uh, some principles we work up against. And therefore, it's extremely useful to say we pick these overall topics that we want everybody to think about and see how they can contribute with. And then we see what comes out of that. Right? So I, I think it's a way of, of ensuring that we get some effects out of the system. And for me, the strength of HMPW is that networked nature. And, and so we pick topics that are best solved through a network. Right? You have the whole ISC set up with the policy fora, and we sit down and we hammer out deals about how to do this, that, and whatever. But there are certain problems that are difficult to crack through that sort of a process. And a network is far better suited to that. And that's the complementarity of HMPW. That's the strength of it. That's really interesting because um, so this year we have uh, welcomed new networks. And uh, so just to remind our listeners that uh, in 2015, 
during the first NPW, only seven networks were involved, um, and I believe some 400 participants. Today, uh, so we have the seventh edition. Uh, it has involved into uh, three week long events and uh, with more than 40 networks and and bit more than 5,000 participants. So. How do you explain this growing trend and the and the interest around the, the discussion that are taking place at HMPW? I can speak for myself, and I, I I've always thought, firstly, if you want to make uh, if you want to double the effect of HMPW, then double the length of the coffee breaks. Right, that that's really where the the effects happen. It's when we meet up and talk, and you say, "Hey, how are you doing? What are you working on now?" and I think I, I've gone to some of the other conferences, and, and I'm not a big fan of these aid and trade things that they do here and there because the content just is not very good, right? It's not interesting, and 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 at least for me, it's not the right people. And people always want to seem to sell me something, but in at ACMPW, I meet the people I find interesting, and I find I meet the ideas that I find interesting, and I think a lot of people have had that experience, and that's why it's going viral. I think that's why you see this growth in participation I think that's a fantastic thing and it's you know we can cry as much as we want about COVID-19 let's take it as an opportunity so what's the opportunity here it is to find a more cost-effective way of doing this thing the virtual how, how do we really make it a powerful virtual probably virtual and physical event at the same time but also how do we uh, how do we get out of Europe right it is a predominantly European old school responder feel to it still that needs to change and so how do you actually turn the leading edge into something more global and how, how do you truly energize and activate the incredible creativity that we find across the world well you would certainly agree that uh, by going virtual um, we certainly miss uh, this coffee breaks as opportunities for, for interaction among participants how is it like to have a fully virtual edition this year? So I think for those of us who know each other, that's not a big problem. But I think that for people who may be attending their first conference and, and, and sort of is trying to get, they don't, it's a higher threshold for actually having that informal chat afterwards. So you get the content, you get the discussions. But as I said before, it is the coffee break where the magic happens, right? It is. So you've you've clearly elaborated on the from the perspective of a participant, but you also have this hat and perspective of a participating network. As I was saying in the introduction of this episode, uh, you are now director at the interim of the H2H network. Could you tell us about about the network? Yeah, it's. Um... I mean, H2H is an idea. I was I was very uh, involved in the formulation of the idea back in 2015 and, and the creation of the network. Essentially, H2H means humanitarian to humanitarian, and it's a play over the business-to-business -business model from the private sector. So just like uh, the private sector outsources part of their um, business to specialized service providers to clean the floors or whatever, we also have in the humanitarian sector a whole bunch of highly specialized independent service providers who are very good at cracking problems. Problems that sometimes it can be hard for the big ones to crack. If I mention a couple of our, our, our members, it is, uh, uh, you could say, Ground Truth Solutions, who have done fantastic work on, on perception surveys and strengthening accountability to affected populations. Think about IMAP, MapAction, Reach, 
ACAPS where I also work, we have pushed forward the whole uh, assessment, analysis, uh, information management agenda in many ways. Think about Sphere, Core Humanitarian Standard, Lex, all of those little specialized one-trick one trick ponies who create an enabling environment for coordination and response. That's who we are. And we're about 60 organizations now. And it's a, it's a fantastic group to be part of because we, we feel if, if I go to a meeting where it is mainly the big agencies there, I feel quite lonely as ACAPs. Okay, they come over and talk to me because they're nice, but we have very different interests. We, we're different animals. Whereas when I sit together with the, with the H2H colleagues, the things we complain about, the challenges we have, the way we're received by the donors, the way we are sometimes bullied by the big agencies, that's all the same. And so really it is on one side an attempt to create a new category of organizations to say, hey guys, we are not just 60 individual agencies, we are a type of organization that is really functional for the humanitarian sector. And as such, you should see us as an ecosystem, not as 60 individual one-trick ponies. And you should think about how to strategically leverage this network to transform the humanitarian sector. That's the basic idea. So what is the impact of the H2H network on the ground assisting uh, aid operations? Yeah, so on one side, I think if you, if you think about the members I just mentioned, they clearly already have made their mark. I, th I think the, the work of the individual members is very clear and, and has been transformative for the sector already. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and if nothing else, if it didn't work, nobody would pay for it. We don't have too much money. And, and, and <laughs> trust me, fundraising is, is, uh, is hard business when you run a shop like, like ACAPS or, or Ground Truth. So we really have to fight for our space. So I think the, the members individually have shown their, their worth. I think what we begin to see with the H2H network, which has been funded for a couple of years now, is that when we get together as a group and we, we can access money from, from one pot, we begin to think more about how we can collaborate. So uh, let me use ACAPS, ACAPS as an example. We, we don't have mappers. We, we don't want to have a big GIS uh, department, especially not when we have fantastic partners in Cardo and Shea, IMAP, map action, a whole bunch of very talented mappers. Why would we have our own? So rather than, than doing that, we would collaborate and create shared value. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's just one small example. You can, you, can see, um, you can see the work we're doing with AAP in, at HMPW and how many of our members there also are driving that agenda. BBC Media Action, Internews, Ground Truth that I mentioned, CDAC, um, plus plus many others who, who are involved in, in, in uh, more maybe less directly, right? And, and so the true value of the network comes out when we develop interoperability and are able to really collaborate and deliver more complex ser service packages to the system. I think that's where the real punch comes. And for us, ASMPW has been the place where we, it's sort of the, the, the sandbox where we could grow up and play around and figure out stuff and, and do that in a, an environment where the big ones also are, where the mainstream actors and some really clear thinkers are there. So you, you're not just on your own uh, renting some place up by the lake somewhere. You're here in Geneva at the epicenter of the humanitarian echo chamber, if you want, together with the establishment who are exactly who we want to influence. So, so in that sense, it's been a unique opportunity and, and really a great sandbox for us. Well, that's really insightful. Um, so, so then my question would be, 
why is the H2H network specializing and leading on, on accountability and not on other topic? What is the added value of uh, the H2H network into those discussions? So I think that's a, that's a, it's a really good question. And you could argue that it's a mistake for a network that is as diverse as ours to put that much emphasis on AAP. I, I, and I think that's a fair point. At the same time, show me a challenge that is more important for us as a community today and why should we not throw all our weight behind that and push that forward as much as we can, especially when we have a number of members who are deeply engaged in that. So so as, as interim director, one of the things I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm like, I'm extremely proud of the work we're doing and the profile that it gives the network and not least the members and, and uh, the groundbreaking work they're doing. But it is also a reminder that we have a whole bunch of excellent members who do work in logistics. We have standard setting, we have information and analysis, and then we have AAP. And we have to be careful not to be too too confined into one agenda. We, we, are, we are much more, and we should in a sense be, we, we serve the membership as a network. And so sh we, we should focus on what the members focus on. But I'm also very comfortable with us really going in and kicking this forward because that we, we, we really need to do that as, a, as an industry. So we're almost entering now the final week of the HLPW. And I'd like if you allow me to come back to this year-round collaboration you were referring to. How do you see the future of this event and how uh, can the discussion move forward in the future? So the, the future, I think we should uh, set some ambi ambitions for ourselves as, as, a, as a network. And th those ambitions must be around inclusivity. It, it is, we, we need to make sure, there, there's a lot of talk uh, these years around decolonizing, uh, around localizing aid, and, and I, I really agree with that. And so, are we truly representative of the countries where humanitarian action is actually taking place? Are we supporting and fostering vibrant humanitarian communities in those countries. The, the, localization is what we call it, but you know what, are we, really, are we really serious about that? And are we really letting go of power or, or is power really being redistributed? And I think that that's something we need to reflect on, especially in, an, in the age of COVID. Is that just strengthening the, the big actors? and crushing the small, as we see from other industries? Or what's happening, right? Or, or does the, the limitations on, on being able to move around the world actually mean that it gives space and oxygen to, to all of the, the colleagues uh, across the global south? I mean, I don't know the answers to those questions, but I, I do know that we should set as a challenge for us, I think, a more inclusive, uh, a more inclusive event, a more inclusive network. Then with the leading edge program and the ongoing collaboration. So I think uh, it's one of these things where it, it's like, uh, it's very hard to catch, but you know it when you see it. It's one of those things. So I don't think we can measure yet, or maybe it's not possible to measure the effects of, of HMPW. But what you do know is, you, you, before we started, you told me that we have 5,000 participants this year, or maybe six when we're done. That's fantastic. And so we have five, 6,000 experienced humanitarians who somehow are connected by this event. And that'll continue to happen. It'll happen in Cox's Bazaar, it'll happen in Bogota, it'll happen in Geneva and in The Hague, in Copenhagen, wherever. 
it'll happen online. So it is the leading edge does exist. It may not be visible. And I don't think that we are being strategic about the way in which we influence the way it works, but it's beginning to be there. I mean, networks generally go through three stages. Connect, align, collaborate. And I think what we are at is the connect stage, right? We are beginning to discover that there's a need for a new way of collaborating across the sector. HMPW clearly is a place where some of these things are being discussed and experimented with. And the next step is then align. How, how do you align? And, and again, if you go back to H2H, for me, the, one of the big challenges we have to think about is, okay, what is interoperability for us? How do we enhance collaboration? How do we become little Lego blocks that we can build together to big, wonderful figures that, that fit exactly the context where they are? Right, so small, modular, interoperable capabilities that can be adapted to a specific context, delivering really bespoke service packages for whatever the humanitarian context looks like. That, that's sort of the vision underpinning it. And I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we have enough Lego blocks that, that fit together. And, and, and we need to work on that. And it's exactly the same challenge for the Leading Edge program. So how do we do that? How do we emphasize that? Back to my half joke about uh, doubling the length of the, the coffee break. Right? So you have 2,000 people sitting in different rooms in the, in the center in Geneva being power pointed to death. If they were out drinking coffee together, probably that would be better. Right? So what I'm trying to say is networks work in a different way than organizations. And we, 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 you can't sit between two chairs. You have to take the consequence of this being a network, embracing that, and then treat it as a network. Don't treat it like an organization. Don't tell it how to walk. Look at where it's going. What is, what is coming up on the H2H agenda for, for the coming month? We are going through a strategic period now, and, and I've come in to be the interim director for a period of six months to, to help give new strategic direction to the network. And we're not, we're not fully the, yet there, but the, so I can give you a flavor with the, the, the sort of headline we use on our concept notes is a swarm of change agents, a swarm of change agents, right? And so that emphasizes on one side the, the change agent aspect rather than the service delivery because I don't think it's just a issue of having the right services. I think it's also an issue of a more sophisticated architecture where the independent nature of the services we provide can serve as not checks and balances, that's too simplistic, but can serve as a second opinion on the table that helps the system reflect on itself and maybe evolve in a different direction. It's, it's that sort of, of, uh, of thing. And so, the second part is the swarm. So a swarm is only a swarm if it somehow flies in the right, in the same direction, right? If, if the bees fly all over the place instead of to where the nectar is, you don't get much effect. So we have to find a way of leveraging the network to become a swarm that somehow has a direction without that being boxed into a little box that we have, everybody have to fit in. So we have to enable these uh, very sort of... Uh, what would be the word? So very quirky sometimes, very bespoke. Um, there's a word I'm looking for uh, that I can't find. Sort of, a, it's, it's a bunch of mom and pop shops, right? It's, it's, it, they, they're very specific. Each, they have that wonderful culture around them, each of them. But we have to find a commonality that helps us drive in the same direction. And I hope I didn't offend any of our members by calling you mom and pop shops, but that is what we are. We're little startups that had to really fight to exist. And I think it's, it's that, that somehow mints an organization and creates a, a, a wonderful, sort of very specific, uh, irreplaceable culture 
around that organization that's part of the value and so at the same time that can be hard to then find a common direction and so that's what we have to do we have we have to to find a, a framework and a common direction that um, really amplifies our impact and, and create shared value instead of uh, dumbing us down to the lowest common denominator well, last Peter, thank you again for your time. It was great to have you in this episode of Radio HMPW. Thank you. And let me at the end do a shameless plug for my own podcast, True Humanitarian, that you can find at your favorite podcast purveyor. There's an episode also where I discuss with uh, Fergus Thomas from FCDO around how we created the, some of the thinking behind the, the H2H network that you should listen to if you find this interesting. And um, have a great conference. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Radio HNPW, the podcast about the humanitarian networks and partnerships weeks. We will be back next week with a new guest speaker elaborating on his or her experience with this event. In the meantime, please do follow us online. On Twitter, we're at LEP underscore HNPW, on Facebook at LEP.HNPW, or visit our website, hnpw.org. And please take the time to share this episode with your friends and colleagues.